The reading is from Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Therefore, my chosen, God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. This is the word of the Lord. Well, just before Christmas, I preached on the same topic I'm going to preach on today, so not that long ago. preached on peace. Um, so today I decided to shift it a little, since I just spoke on it. Today I want to talk about peace and really kind of focus on peace as a community. Um, peace here, in the community of Christ followers, what that looks like and what we're called to in that regard. And it's one of the things that I think Paul is speaking to, to the church at Colossae. Uh, so if you want to follow along with me today, I'm going to be looking a lot at Colossians chapter 3. You can turn there in your Bibles or on your phones if you'd like. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul begins by telling us that we ought to focus our thoughts, our minds, on things above instead of things on this earth. We have a choice. We can live as if we're just kind of the earthly is all there is. Or we can be people who look beyond that, that there's a, there's a reality bigger than just what we see and experience in this earth. And he tells us, focus your mind on things above. And then he describes Christians as people who have died. These are followers of Christ. So these, these Colossian believers, these people that are in this kind of, uh, this little country town that really wasn't all that important for anything at that time. Uh, these people are ex-pagans who have come to Christ. He says to all of them, you've died, but you now have life, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You now do have life, but it's not the life you had before. You have a new life. You're a new creature, a new being. That's true of you now. And he says, and one day you'll appear with Christ in glory. So right now, this, this new person you are, this new identity that you have as a follower of Christ, um, it's hidden in some ways. You know, these people who came to Christ, they didn't suddenly look in the mirror and see somebody different. They doesn't really look like much changed. People around them or dealing with them don't really probably notice that much has changed. They've, they probably don't feel like a lot has changed. But he tells them, you've died. And you are now alive with Christ and God. You are, a, you are a brand new creature. Everything's new now. Now the day's coming when you will appear with him in glory and this will be clear and visible to you and to everybody else. But right now, in a lot of ways, it's hidden. It's easy to kind of think nothing really happened. But he says that's absolutely not true. I want to start off today by reading you a long quote, and it's a quote that most of you already know, have probably heard several times. It's a quote by C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis gets quoted probably more than anybody, and this one is probably one of his most popular from Weight of Glory. But I think it's so fitting today that I wanted to read through it with you. And it's kind of long, so I'm going to put the words up here as I read it. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to 
may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with all and with a circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. These are the temporary things. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. That's who we are. If you have come to Christ, you are a new creature. You're an everlasting splendor. Now, I got to admit, when I'm interacting with most of you, everlasting splendor is not what's running through my mind. It's not my first thought most of the time and probably not the first thought you have when you're interacting with me. But I agree with Lewis. We are new creatures. Something has changed. It's not all visible yet. Can't see it all yet, but it is true about it. It is now our true identity. We are new creatures, hidden in Christ with God, so it's absolutely sure, it's absolutely secure because it's hidden with Him. But again, a little bit hard to see, to, to know it's true right now. And so Paul instructs them to live out of this new identity, this new reality. He tells them in some ways to make it visible, to, to put on this new life that you have and to put off the old life that's not you anymore. Put it away because it's simply not you. Uh, so he says, here's some things that you need to put out, put away. Put away sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which he calls idolatry. He's saying this, this worshiping after, this bowing down to all your physical pleasures, thinking that somehow you need to serve every desire that you have, every physical desire, every want needs to be served, and you, you literally bow to it. Just put that away. That's not you anymore. That's not your life. Don't live that way. It takes others. It uses others. It demands from others. That's not who you are anymore. And he goes on, he says, rid yourself of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language, lying to each other. Again, this, this having to always have your own way, believing that your way is all that matters, this demanding from others and taking from others and manipulating others to get what you want, this feeling that your rights always need to be protected and you need to protect them. You don't got to live that way anymore. That's not the life you're called to. That's not the person you are anymore. You're a new creature. Rid yourself of those things. Put them away. Now, sometimes we live those things out in kind of sophisticated ways, right? We're a little more subtle, but they're the same things. They got a kind of fresh coat of paint on the rot, but it's the same stuff. We're, we're often not living those things out in such blatant ways, but we can still use others and, and demand from others and think our way is all that matters, but we can do it in kind of sophisticated ways. But Paul says it doesn't matter how you do it. That's not you. That's not the new creature you are. Put those things away. Take them off. Rid yourself of them. Because you are a new creature. You have a new creature. You have a new identity. He says that this new self is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. This new identity that you have, this new creature you are, is continuously being renewed in the image of its creator. Always being done for us. 
It's something that's being done to us till that day when it will be revealed and it will be complete in glory with our Savior, that we will be all that we are meant to be. For now, it's continuously being renewed in us. It's happening to us. But he also says, even though it's happening to you, you have choices in it. You need to put it on. You need to wear this new identity. Choose this new identity and own it as your own. One commentator said it this way, you are, now be. You are, now be. Be who you truly are. Just the other day, I watched an interview with J.C. Duggard. I know many of you have seen her story. Uh, she, at 11 years old, was abducted uh, by just a horribly evil couple um, and was um, imprisoned in their backyard for 18 years. Gave birth to two daughters while she was in prison there. Uh, horribly abused, just a horrible story. And I was listening to her interview, and one of the things she was saying was how, how now, even as a free woman who can be creative and think and choose and has this abundance of choices before her, she said it, it's hard for her to remember that that's actually who she is, that she feels like somebody who still is just an extension of whatever somebody else wants, that, that a creative thought is dangerous, that, that wanting something for herself is something she needs to be careful about. She said those things were so not allowed that they got put so deep in her, they felt almost like they weren't a part of her anymore. And she said now that she's free, now that she is free to be the woman she's actually always been, she's always been a choosing, creative, thinking, volitional person. But she said now that she's free to express it, she has to kind of learn it. She has to put it on because it doesn't feel natural anymore because of all that has happened to her. Her therapist said this, one of the most important things of working with survivors of abduction is allowing them to have choices in every single thing they do. Those things happen to her. They're not who she is. She has to learn to put on her true identity. Now, in her case, it's always been her identity, right? It was pushed down and abused, but it's always been her. She now has to learn to, to live it out. We as new creatures, this is new to us. We have to learn to live out this person that we are, this new identity that's ours in Christ. And sometimes it just feels like the old way is who we still are. It's what we have to do. Paul goes on in verse 11, he says, you know, as new creatures, um, the things that used to define you don't define you anymore. You used to define yourself by things like race and religious heritage and culture and social differences. All those things were how you defined who you were. He says that's not true anymore. And, that, and, and you tend to relate to others based on how you define yourself. So you relate, relate to others based on things like race and religious heritage and culture and social expectations and all those things. So it's not true anymore. That isn't, that isn't the core of how we should relate to one another as followers of Christ. As followers of Christ, he says, here, here's your true identity. You are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. It's just another way of saying what Lewis said. You're in everlasting splendor. You are someone who God loves, who's poured his resurrection life into. That is who you are. He said, and that's who these other people around you are. So when you look around in here, these other Christ followers, these everlasting splendors beside you, they are people who God has chosen, has dearly loved. They are people that, that are, are the cherished by our Father God. Do you think of each other that way very often? I don't. I don't 
interact with other Christians and think that way very often. But that's who we're dealing with. He says, because that's true, because this is the family you're all a part of now, those other things get pushed aside. They don't stop being true of you, right? Things like cultural differences and age and gender and race and all these, they didn't stop being true. They're still part of our story. But they're not the things that at core define you. They're not the things around which we most connect with others. We connect around this core thing more than anything else. You are chosen. You are dearly loved. That should connect us the way nothing else does. And then he calls us to actually put on this new identity, to clothe ourselves. This, this is the uniform of this new life. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is the uniform of this new humanity that we have been made a part of and adopted into. And he says you're free to love one another because of it. You no longer have to worry so much about making sure you're seen and your rights get honored and you get your way and that you've got to protect yourself and get for yourself because someone is watching out for you. Someone does love you. Someone does care for you. Someone is taking care of you. You can let go of that. You're free to live out this, this new capacity that's your identity. And then he says this, and this is really the core of what I want to say today in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So since all of this is true, what should you do? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And what's that mean? So the word hearts here, it's really in the Bible often hearts means different than we use it today. We talk about hearts, we often mean sort of just emotion. And Scripture uses hearts, especially in the Old Testament, and again I think here, it's talking really more about the center of our personality. He's talking about your will, your mind, your emotions, your affections, all these things when he says heart. It's who you are. So he says, let the peace of Christ rule. Have, have control over your hearts, over all of this core of who you are. Let the peace of Christ. And what's the peace of Christ? So is the peace of Christ just avoiding conflict, staying away from trouble? When you think of the peace that is Christ, that he lived out, that that's just his very being. When you think of his peace, is it just staying away from people who you have difficulty with enough that you can kind of navigate around the conflicts, right? Because we think of peace a lot of times as simply an absence of conflict. But his peace was so much more than that. His peace reconciled where there was division. He, he binded people together who were very different people. He bound them together. He brings healing to broken relationships. He conquers the sin that causes conflict and separation. He bridges the abyss that our sins have created between us and our God. He settles disputes. He forgives sins. He exposes darkness with light. He teaches and confronts and he comforts. He brings peace that is so much more than an avoidance of conflict or difference, right? It's not just stay away from the differences. It's, it's connect with them, despite them. Do the hard work. Bring truth to the situation. Whatever you got to do to bring oneness and unity, to, to find real peace, meaningful, lasting peace, not the kind that just has to keep a distance. And then he ends with this phrase. He says, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Do this. Do this because you're members of the same body. Christ is the head of this body. And 
And for a body to function as it's meant to function, it needs every piece to function in harmony with the other. He's saying, let this peace, be, be peacemakers, bring peace to your world. And that absolutely means bring peace anywhere we go. But I think here he's especially saying, bring peace to this community of Christ followers. Bring peace to the church locally and the church universally. Bring peace. Be people who are followers of Christ, who the way you relate to each other is a reflection of Christ's peace and Christ's rule over your lives. Live that way with one another. Truth is, though, we know that's not always the way it is in church, right? Um, churches aren't somehow, uh, don't escape all the peace-robbing struggles that are part of our world. We still sometimes jockey for position, and we still sometimes fight for our way, even if our way really isn't all that important. Uh, we still sometimes use one another in foolish ways. We lie, we gossip, we slander. All those things happen. I hope happen a lot less as Christ followers, but those things still happen. They're still part of our community. Uh, if you've been in church for long and been very much a part, you know they still exist here. We fail. We often don't live this out. Uh, Tom Rayner, who's a CEO of a Southern Baptist uh, publishing house, I read an article by him in which he, he says he collected a whole bunch of stories over the years of churches that are having conflicts, these stories of conflicts. And most of these stories occurred in, these conflicts occurred in business meetings with churches. So he just kept a long list of these stories, and some of them are, are kind of funny and sad at the same time, because these are the things that churches actually fought about. So here are a few that I chose out of his list. One church at a business meeting had a very heated debate about the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Um, and that church should have joined with this one that had a heated debate about whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. Uh, those worship leaders always causing trouble, you know? <laughs> always a problem, so I can understand. I thought about having Adam come up here barefoot to lead, but then I thought some of you would feel so guilty because you'd be sitting there condemning him, and then I'd say something about it. Um, one church had a heated argument and eventually had a vote to decide if a clock should be left in the worship center or not. Uh, big fight over it. Another, whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve it and a vote. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee that they would serve on Sunday. Uh, this is really sad. In one of those churches, several members left over the final decision. Uh, those are people who care about their coffee. One church had a heated battle over a disagreement over whether they should use the term potluck instead of pot blessing. Uh, so those who didn't like potluck believe that somehow the concept of luck contradicted the theology of a sovereign God, so they didn't want to use it. One of the saddest uh, was a fight in a church where one member had hid the vacuum cleaner from other members of the church. Didn't want them misusing it, so he hid it. That became such a fight, it actually split the church. They actually ended up forming two churches because of a fight that started over a vacuum cleaner. Uh, and again, you know in those cases, they're probably about more than just the vacuum cleaner, right? But the vacuum cleaner is where the, where the anger kind of landed. Now, we know that there are frivolous fights that go on, and I, I get caught up in frivolous things that I want to argue about and treat as if they really matter. We all do that. Um, but honestly, 
a lot of times the conflicts in churches, I've seen it more here, when there's conflicts, a lot of times because they're important things. A lot of times they really are things that matter. They're things that, that we truly care about, that shape us as a community, and sometimes we have conflicts about those kind of things. Um, but even then, even when they're important things that, that we kind of need to walk through as a community that we can, so that we can find peace, even then there are two paths to doing it, right? There's a path that's kind of the earthly way, the path that says we use anger and demandingness and slander and, and we kind of grab and take whatever we think is ours and our rights and we defend them. Or there's the way that is kind and gentle and humble and considerate the kind that honestly considers the other as we walk through the disagreement. There are different ways that we can seek peace. We don't, they don't always have to be ways that, um, yeah, say that the resolutions all, if this, is a, if this is a big issue, all that goes out the window, right? Because this issue matters. Even when it matters. Even if in the end the decision is one where people have to part ways, where that actually happens. Do we even pursue that resolution in a way that says peace matters? Do we let the peace of Christ rule our hearts in the way we interact with each other and treat each other during, before, during, and after those conflicts? I know I don't always, but I think we are called to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So one man whose job it is pretty much to just go into church and help them solve conflicts. It sounds like a horrible job to me. This guy's name is Speed Lees. That's his actual name. I was, I was kind of disappointed my parents didn't think of that when I was a kid. Speed. He didn't go through life with the name Speed. That is a great name. He was a graduate of Yale Divinity School, the author of a book called Church Fights, and his full-time job is a church consultant with the Alban Institute at Duke University. Uh, so I was reading an article by him, and he, and he talks about one of the fights, church fights that he walked into, he said this church was really at the point of about to split. They were really in major kind of crisis and conflict. And he said the church brought him in as a consultant to help them resolve the problem. And the conflict was between a lot of longtime members of the church and the senior pastor. And he'd been there for a while. I wasn't new, but there was a pretty heated conflict going on between the two parties. So when he came in, he said he did what he always did. He wanted to just understand what the real issues were. So he asked those disgruntled members if they would meet with him in small groups. So he formed four small groups, and he met with them to just talk with them about what they were upset about. And he said lots of little issues came up, but he said in all four groups, the consistent two issues that came up and came up intensely were, one, the pastor wore jeans during the week, and secondly, that his desk was a mess. He was just kind of a disorganized guy in his office. Those two issues came up again and again, and there was an intensity behind them when they would come up. And he said, you know, if, if I wanted to solve this problem the quick and easy way, then you tell the pastor, come on, suck it up, buy some khakis and clean your desk, and problem's over and we move on, right? But he's done these things enough to know that doesn't really solve it. So he, he said he spent time with each of those groups and talking with them and talking through their situation and he said what eventually came to the surface was that they would, that each of those groups kind of expressed, you know, when they were with the pastor, they just didn't feel good. They just didn't feel good when they were with him. They kind of just didn't feel like he liked them that well or like he respected them that much. They just didn't, it just didn't feel right somehow. It, they couldn't even really name specific things he did. It just didn't feel good. That's what it kind of came down to. So they found some things to name. 
right? Some things that were really not big deal, maybe things they thought, but, but they found some things because it was hard to put words to what was really going on. It just didn't feel right. It was a relational problem. So he said in that church, they had to do the hard work as a church of solving the relational problem, of the pastor learning to care and express care more for them, of them learning to express care more for him. They had to learn to like each other, to care about each other, to see we're different, but we still absolutely can care about each other. They had to remind themselves that the person standing before them was an everlasting splendor, was someone who was chosen by God and deeply loved by Him. They had to do that, and that's hard work, right? Buying some khakis and cleaning your desk, they probably wished it was that easy. But it's not that easy most of the time. Most of the time, it is us learning to live out who we are with one another. People are called to love and called to let the peace of Christ rule in us, a peace that cares about truth, a peace that walks through the hard things, a peace that wants to truly know and see people, a peace that honestly lasts because it's the kind of peace that runs deep. We're called to be peacemakers. Um, Let the peace of Christ rule in your lives. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful uh, for the people that we are in Christ. Father, it is hard for all of us to, to really own that, to live it, to put it on, to be the people that we are. I pray, Father, that you will help us to continue to do that. Uh, we're thankful that it doesn't just depend on our efforts, that that's who we are, it's who will one day be revealed to be. But Father, we just pray for the help of your spirit, for the help of one another, that we would support each other as a community, that we more and more would be people uh, who would reflect your peace to the world around us. In your name, amen.